On this episode, we welcome Bob Woodson. And welcome to this June 19th edition of the Armstrong Williams Show. And yes, believe it or not, it is Juneteenth Day, 1865, June 19th. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And guess what? The United States Congress made it official this past Thursday, making it a national holiday. I want you to know, this is the only place in the world that where a government has recognized and paid tribute to the homage of the freedom from slavery. There's no place like this in the United States. I've got the Bass Sisters joining me today um, because we're creating this new series called Race Police that will be debuting soon right here on our main sister station, ABC7, Sundays at 1 p.m. That's tomorrow, Sunday at 1 p.m. And also it's Father's Day weekend. There's so much going on. It's Juneteenth, Father's Day weekend. I've got the Bass Sisters and our hero, Bob Woodson. Such respect for Bob Woodson. He's a civil rights icon, a business icon, helping the poor. I mean, what you've done around the world is just unprecedented. And there's no better person to have on today as we look towards um, the progress, not the wounds that we've <laughs> suffered, not the crucifixion, but the healing that is taking place. And in this Emancipation Proclamation, there is healing. We would welcome your perspective on how all Americans should view this historic day now. Well, I think uh, we should celebrate the fact that we live in a nation, the only one on the face of the earth that ever fought a war to end slavery. We're the only nation on the face of the earth that has an Emancipation Proclamation to right the wrongs of the past. We are a nation that should be defined by our promise, not our birth defect of slavery and discrimination, as some would have us do. Uh, because black America is, has never been defined by slavery, never at all. That there are people who are born slaves who died millionaires. Some of them even went back and purchased a plantation on which they were slaves. One or two of them even took in the destitute family of the slave master <laughs> as an act of what I call radical grace. Radical grace. So um, what we, we, we should celebrate, the, the, the back, we live in Alexandria, in Alexandria, Virginia right here. There was one man who was freed, from, he, lived, he was in Dallas, and his family was in Alexandria, Virginia. It took him two years to hitchhike <laughs> from Dallas to Alexandria to reunite with his family, and he is celebrated here. So we really need to inspire one another by, by highlighting victories that are possible because people are motivated to improve when you show them victories that are possible, not constantly reminding them of injuries to be avoided. You know, uh, you know and what should parents, I, I, it's so eloquent and so profound what you've said because it, it's, everything is about blame, 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 blame. What is it that parents, when you think about Juneteenth Day, what is it that they should pour into their children and the next generation. They should say, uh, in other words, they should point to what we're trying to do at the Woodson Center in our, in our recent series of essays, is that when white people were at their worst and Jim Crow and after, we were at our best. I spoke at Talladega State and I talked about all of the businesses, the fact that Baltimore, Maryland in 16, uh, 1868 when a thousand blacks were fired for striking, 
they organized and financed their own railroad, a black railroad that ran successfully from Baltimore to Maine for 18 years and hired back those people and even hired whites. We need to uh, uh, share with our young people our triumphs in the face of oppression and despair. When we were denied access to hotels, we established our own hotels, the Wallahaji in Atlanta, the Carbon Calvert Hotel in Overtown, Miami, the St. Charles in Chicago, the St. Teresa in New York. We should be telling our, our young people and showing them how we achieved under circumstances of segregation and not just emphasize the fact that, that, that people like in, 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 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that it was burned down. Yes, it was burned, but you have to explain to them why did whites envy um, Tulsa to the point where they wanted to destroy it. So we need to tell the victories and not just the, 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 the failures. You know, you mentioned Baltimore. What has happened to Baltimore? You know, you have all this leadership. You have Congressional Black Caucus. You have the black mayors across the country. You have the black city council. They run government. Why doesn't it reflect the progress of their communities, though? But you Where's see, the success? But you see, the crime, the, right. the victimizing. I mean, what, what, what has happened? Well, for one of the reasons is, is, is that as long as they can use as an excuse institutional racism. I had the debate with Hawk Newman head of Black Lives Matter, and I said to him, if racism were, race were the single culprit, explain to me why blacks are failing in institutions run by their own people. It, it, un, under segregation, we didn't. We had Dunbar School in Baltimore and four other uh, schools in the turn of the century where we had crowded classrooms, we had half the budgets of white schools, we had used textbooks. Every one of the five major schools in those cities out-tested every white school in Baltimore, Washington, Atlanta, New Orleans, and New York. And so if we were able to outperform whites in institutions doing segregation, then why are we failing in institutions to, in nothing? But these are the kind of troubling questions, Armstrong, we need to be discussing among ourselves and stop whining and complaining about what white folks have done. And instead, we need to address the enemy within. Your question is a very profound question, but it's something we ought to discuss. But, they, but, but one of the ways that we have of avoiding the discussion is to say, oh, it's institutional racism. Well, what does that mean? Explain to me how white folks, man, can cause us to miseducate our children when we are running those institutions. We're running the courts, the healthcare system, foster care systems, all of those systems. And yet, the, the, some of the residents are saying, just pick up the trash and protect us. Isn't that horrible today that residents have, and business leaders have to say in Baltimore, can't you just do the fundamental things that government should be doing? Stop crime, Stop. make our businesses exactly. safe so trash. we can employ people, get this economy back after the pandemic, and yet they want to assume that this is some kind of maligning somebody, that this is racism. I mean, people want to protect their way of life and give people a better life. Exactly. But, uh, but again, I really think that uh, I'm going to be proposing that we take a moratorium and whine about white folks. <laughs> Just, just one year, stop talking about what white people have done in the past and instead 
Let's all get together and decide what we can do with the resources that we have to promote uh, solutions to problems that are internal. We've done this in Washington and other cities, the Woodson Center. We've gone into gang-infested neighborhoods right here in Washington, the Benning Terrace 23 years ago. That was 53 murders in the five-square-block area. We work with the Alliance of Concerned Men. These are indigenous leaders, trained them. They went in. We engaged these young people. And as a consequence, we went from 53 murders in, in two years down to zero gang murders for 12 years, Armstrong. We made that community safe. White folks didn't do anything to promote those changes. Those changes were promoted from within the community suffering the problem. And if we did it, uh, uh, and then, and there are other examples that we have um, uh, where communities have come together and decided that the, the victimizer might have knocked us down, but the, the victim, but the victim has to get up. And so we have put together get-up strategies uh, to promote self-development. All over this country, I can take you to models of, of where communities have decided to take charge and improve the conditions within there. Well, why is it that the leadership doesn't talk more about the success? They always focus on the failures. Because I really think over the past 50 or 60 years, the government has spent about uh, $22 trillion in programs to aid the poor without moving poverty. 70 cents of every one of those dollars go not to the poor, they go to those who serve the poor. These professional providers ask not which problems are solvable, but which ones are fundable. And, and so we are, so you have a whole, we have, we have created a commodity out of poor people where a lot of uh, well-educated and particularly well-educated black make their living off of serving poor people. And so if, if your career and income depends upon someone else being dependent, what motivation do you have for them to be independent? And, it, 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 and so we're in a situation where even if you're well-intended, it causes good people to do bad things or harmful things. So this is an industry? It's an industry. And it's an insidious industry because it's, it's insulated from accountability because they use race as a shield. When you use race, anytime you try to raise questions about accountability, about why you aren't accomplishing things, and you can point to this invisible hand of, of racism, I ask somebody, explain to me how white people can insinuate their, their, their evil influence over uh, institutions run by black folks. Explain to me. One of the promises of the civil rights movement was put black folks in charge of these cities and institutions, and we will, our, our people will be treated better. That was the promise. And so people elected, got out and worked, Voting Rights Act, and put them in charge. And now 50 years, you're telling me that all of these inequities that they're talking about have occurred in, in situations that have been run by our own people? When do we begin to look at the leadership when do we begin to say, what are we doing to injure ourselves? But instead, a lot of these officials uh, try to escape any responsibility by saying, well, it's institutional racism. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what institutional racism is.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode.